chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions to, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy New Year uh, again. Um, let me pray for us and we'll get started. All right. Uh, Father, I thank you so much uh, for uh, these friends, uh, my brothers and sisters here in this room, uh, for friends, family, visitors, uh, and just the opportunity that we have now to, to dive into your word. Um, God, we believe that your word is true, and that it's timeless, that it is uh, not only timeless, but relevant and timely for us today. And so would you, Holy Spirit, just um, open our eyes uh, to the wonders and beauties of your word. Uh, shape us and mold us more into who you truly created us to be in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So now, as many of you know, um, our church is part of this uh, global, uh, diverse uh, uh, family of churches, of church planting churches called Acts 29. Uh, and Acts 29 is all about planting healthy churches, developing healthy leaders who will pursue holiness and humility. Uh, and it is a, a family, a network that we are um, just really uh, grateful to be a part of. And one of the blessings... Uh, that comes to, to us as a church through this relationship uh, with Acts 29, or, or A29 as we call it, is that, uh, is that I, as your pastor, I get to sit across from guys uh, in the network that are uh, older uh, than me, that are wiser than me, guys with experience in, in pastoring and in church planting, um, to kind of press into them and, and ask questions like, um, like hey, how, how do we pastor well in a time like this? What, what have you learned about how to lean into your strengths, how to uh, grow through your weaknesses, to stay grounded in, in the mission that God has for us, and, and to remain joyful through mental health struggles? How do you balance caring for hurting people and growing in theology and preaching sermons and leading an organization and, and all of that? What kind of leaders should we be investing into? What priorities should we keep at the center? Should we never move on from? Um, and the reason that those conversations are so helpful is because I'm learning from, from men, from people who have been down this same road before, right? And so if as a new church, a newer church in, in the 21st century, uh, if we want to get some, some sort of hot tips on what we should be prioritizing, if what we should be devoting ourselves to, the priorities that we should have, then one of the most helpful places and instructive places that we can go in the scriptures is the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we, we hear all about how the first churches were started, how they were planted, how they matured, how they multiplied. That's the story behind the book of Acts, which is why, by the way, the network is called Acts 29, because there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And so to say that we are Acts 29 is, is sort of like this cheeky way of saying that story continues down today, right? And so here's, here's the scene in Acts chapter 2, though. At the beginning of Acts, you see that Jesus has, has already died, 
and he's already risen. And then in chapter one, when he ascends into heaven, when he returns to heaven and he says, hey, look, I'm gonna go to heaven. I'm gonna give you guys a mission to do here on earth while I'm gone, but I'm gonna come back for you at some undisclosed moment in time. And he says, the message and the work of the kingdom is now gonna be in your hands through the church. And then he sends the Holy Spirit down. God, the Holy Spirit comes down. He just drops the presence and the power of God in Acts chapter one. And at that moment, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit opens the hearts of of the people present to the power of the gospel. And then the church is born. The first church is born. We read about that in, in Acts 2, verse 41, where it says that those who received his word, that's talking about Peter, who was just preaching the gospel of Jesus to this crowd, those who received Peter's word, uh, which is handed down from Jesus, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, this crazy scene right here in Acts chapter 2 is full of celebration, right? It's full of celebration, kind of like a New Year's Eve party. There's a lot of noise, a lot of action going on. You kind of feel the sense of a lot of commotion, and then something new happens. Something new is ushered in. A church is born, and a few thousand people get saved. They repent from their old ways. They get baptized into the faith, and then they join together as the church. That's the scene here, all right, to set us up. And then in verse 2, where we'll start walking through, we see their first priorities, the things that they gave their time to. Now, here's the main idea that you're going to see from this text, is that God promises, God promises to do an extraordinary work in us and through us when we prioritize the ordinary and biblical habits of grace. God promises to do an extraordinary work in us and through us when we prioritize the ordinary and biblical habits of grace. And so here's the first thing I want you to see is that point number one, they were devoted to the word. They were devoted to the word of God. Right there in verse 42, it says, they, the crowd, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so first we see that they were devoted to the scriptures. When it says, The apostles' teaching, that's shorthand for the gospel, for the Bible, the central message of the Bible, which is the gospel. You see, those who were considered apostles were those who were handpicked and chosen by Jesus uh, to go around and follow him for a few years uh, before he died. And Jesus gave this group of disciples, these apostles, he gave them unique authority to represent him to the early churches and to carry on his mission, to carry on his message, the gospel, which basically means the good news, the good news that Jesus has come, the good news that the Messiah has come, that the kingdom is here. And notice in verse 42, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It was the teaching of the apostles that they were devoted to. They had respect and honor for the apostles for sure, but they weren't ultimately devoted to these men, the apostles, but they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And look, man, that is my prayer for the church, not only this church, but for the church in Western uh, societies, right? We, We don't need more celebrities in the American church. We need more Jesus. We need more Bible. 
We should show up each week uh, on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, with a burning desire, a hunger for the Word of God, to see Jesus more clearly, to walk away knowing that He more, knowing Him more beautifully. And that's where they, they found uh, just this deep meaning for them. It says, like, they were devoted. And see, look, true devotion isn't just like, like, when I feel it, whenever I feel like it sort of devotion. It's not like whenever it's convenient for me type of devotion. Like, they say that, 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 that my generation, the millennial generation, is the most commitment-averse generation, right? We're the, we're the FOMO generation, the fear of missing out generation. We commit to nothing so that we can have a little bit of everything. But the early church, the first Christians, they were not like that at all when it came to spiritual matters. When it came to Jesus and his word and his community, it says that they were devoted to the word of God. That's where they found deep meaning was in the word. And what's true about all of us is that whatever we are, whatever we are most devoted to will shape inform and guide how we're going to use our time, how we spend each minute of each day. And here it says that they were devoted to the word. See, whatever it is that you are most devoted to will define how you live your life. The thing that you're most devoted to will define how you live your life. And so if you're most devoted to work, your vocation, then that will inform how you spend your time, your money, your, your relationships, right? If you see a man that forsakes his family for, for time at the office, uh, that's a choice, right? That's a value decision. If you're devoted to your own self-comfort, if you're devoted to comfort and convenience, to ease, then that will inform what you do, when you're going to do it, and who you do it with. And so if you ever see like a dude forsake worship with other Christians uh, for watching the game at home, that's a value decision. And what we see in Acts 2 is that when the church was in its early stages, when it was in its infancy, they devoted themselves to the word. It was precious to them. It shaped them. And so let me, let me ask you when, you, when you open up the scriptures, when you turn open those pages, when you pull up that app, your Bible app, are those words that you see, are they more precious to you than gold, more treasured by you than silver, sweeter than honey? Straight out of that language is straight out of Psalm 19. Do you value these words more than you do your, your status at work, more than your fitness routine, or, or more than the car in your garage, or the number of, of likes and followers that you have on like Instagram or Facebook? Do you have more devotion to the word than you do to your favorite team? Or do you, look at, do you look at this book as a religious chore? J.C. Ryle, um, an old Anglican minister, he, he puts this poignantly when he says, nothing so hardens the heart of man as a barren familiarity with sacred things. 
You see, it's widely known that the greatest crisis of the church today is not so much secularism or atheism, but our own biblical illiteracy in the church. We don't know our Bibles. We don't know basic doctrines. And so we do this sort of form of, of Christianity that is just based on like our own intuition, that's based on our own gut or how we feel rather than what God has revealed. There's literally a verse that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. Your gut, your heart, your intuition is not a reliable discerner of truth. It's just not. That's why I yearn for us to know the word, to have the spirit of God open our eyes to its wonders. That's why we want to talk about these sorts of priorities and these, these healthy habits as we go into a new year. That's why we go through the Bible on Sundays, right? We don't go through, through like, uh, like a devotional or, or current events or, or you know, we're not, we're not all going through like the newspaper headlines. No, the reason that we walk through the word is because of how much we need it. That's why we study the Bible in our home groups. Look, I know that in this room, I know you guys' stories. I know that there's, that there's people all across the spectrum, right? People who are, who are kind of new to the faith or they're sort of renewing their faith after not, not really uh, grasping onto it from their upbringing. Uh, we have people that have been uh, uh, walking with Jesus since they were in diapers, right? We got people that, that in this room who were uh, con previously considered themselves like atheists or, or maybe they were like overly religious but didn't really have like this, this, uh, this relationship with Christ. And look, regardless of where we're at on the spectrum of that, please know that as a church, we're committed to meeting you where you're at. Creating a safe space for all people, wherever they land on that spectrum, to help you grow in the word. To do it humbly because we all have room to grow. And to do it together. So we want to develop men and women who are confident in God and his word so that so that, so that we can be what the Bible calls salt and light in the world. In other words, we're salt to the world. We help preserve the things that are good and beautiful and true. We're light to the world because there's a lot of darkness out there and we need to shine light on the hope of truth to a world that's starving for the transcendent. And so let's offer them more. Let's offer the world more than just our gut, than just our intuition. Let's treasure the word of God. As, uh, as Alyssa mentioned, we're, we're doing, um, we did this two years ago where we went through this Bible reading plan. And this year we're going through a five-day um, reading plan. Um, and, and one of the things I like about this one is not only is it five days a week so that if you kind of get behind by the weekend, you, you have the weekend to catch up. Uh, but this particular reading plan uh, helps you, uh, it, it gives you like the Old Test, an Old Testament uh, passage, a New Testament passage, and usually like a psalm or a proverb uh, somewhere in the middle. Uh, and so you're kind of like walking through the story of the Bible, looking at, at the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, together. I know when we did this a couple years ago, some of you who are newer into faith got like really discouraged right? when we were going through that chronological plan, like in the early months where you go through like all these really hard texts in the Old Testament, and you're like, oh, like, like when, are, when are we going to be done with the Old Testament? And then and then you realize 
the Old Testament's like 90% of the Bible, right? Uh, and so um, in this particular plan, you're going to have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading uh, uh, each, each day. So, uh, yeah, sign up for my newsletter uh, and <laughs> receive that in your inbox. Um, uh, point number two, we're devoted to community. The church was devoted to community. As verse 42 continues, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, which means community, authentic relationships. They were devoted not just to the scriptures, but to, but to each other. You see, when revival broke out, when the church started at Pentecost, which is what we call that event in Acts 1 and 2, when the Holy Spirit came down and started the first church, all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds were getting saved. Look, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes down, is that they become closer not only to God, but to each other. I mean, in this room alone, we've got people of all kinds of different stripes and backgrounds. We've got older people, younger people, single, married, kids, no kids, students, white collar, blue collar. The Church of Jesus represents different ethnicities, personalities, different tastes, different political parties, different religious upbringings. We have different skills, different gifts for serving. And we are distinct from one another, for sure. Like, we're not all the same. We're distinct. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you still have this unbreakable unity that comes with being brothers and sisters in God's family. That's what fellowship is. It continues in, in, in or, or look now at, at verse 44 and 45 when it says that, it says, all who believed, they were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now look, our Western individualistic culture is like at odds with this kind of thinking. Because we believe in the sovereign self over the good of the group. Right? Like, think about it. This generation is a generation that had the word selfie added to the dictionary. But look, man, I've seen how the Holy Spirit has brought you together, just even, even in this small group right here, even in our small church. I've seen how you've shown up for each other. Have you shown up for each other through, through suffering, through grief, through sin and, and just growing out of, of bad habits. I've seen how you've shown up for each other in, in need. I got a number of messages here, like at the, towards the end of the year, that was like, hey, can you tell me, like, you know, as people are like uh, get, getting ready for the, like their end of year giving, can you, can you tell me what are the needs in the church and are there any families in our church that have any particular needs that we could just help them directly? I love that. It's the kind of unity that can only be described by the Holy Spirit making people who are otherwise different, who would never hang out with each other, um, bring them together. Only Jesus can do that. If it weren't for Jesus, I would never hang out with Oscar, right? <laughs> uh, one of the primary ways that, that this sort of fellowship is fleshed out is through just our regular gatherings in the church, what we're doing right now. In verse 46, it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. What we see in this verse is that the early church had regular gatherings, regular gatherings that were large, and regular gatherings that were small. 
And God's people generally met on on Sundays. That's why we call it the Lord's Day, because it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so when you gather with others for worship on a Sunday, like you're doing right now, that's like a public statement that you are associating yourself with the risen Jesus. It's always been that way. And so this is our large gathering as a church. But the church has also had smaller gatherings. One of the ways that we pursue this and live this out at King's Cross is through what we call our home groups, right? You may have heard of them, right? We try to talk about them all the time. We have a new season of home groups coming up that we, we mention the announcements. Home groups are small groups uh, of about, uh, you know, anywhere from 8 to 12 people of, of all different ages uh, who may meet regularly, usually every other week, to enjoy just authentic relationship and community, to dig into the scriptures together, and to encourage one another towards growth and maturity in Christ. And so... As we mentioned, we're doing sign-ups for that uh, right now, getting ready for a new season of home groups at the beginning of this year. Typically, what we do is we go throughout the spring, uh, we break for a little bit in the summer, and then we have a fall season uh, that we, we do. And so um, if you are not in a home group, we want to encourage you to uh, sign up for one uh, before you leave today. Number three, we see that the early church was devoted to communion. They were devoted to communion. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, when you see the breaking of bread in this this verse and in other places in the scriptures, what it's referring to is what we do at communion, right? Uh, Communion is is this, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's it's this Christian ritual, uh, a tradition that was handed straight to us from Jesus where we break bread and we eat pieces of bread and we drink from a cup, uh, typically with, with wine, uh, and, and, uh, and, and we do that in remembrance of his body, Jesus' body that was broken for us, and his wine represents uh, the, his blood that was spilt for us. And now this might seem strange for you that they were so devoted to this, to this really, I mean, if you look at it, at it as an outsider, it's an odd tradition, Right? Like, was this communion ritual really that important to the early church? But it was as central to the early church to their sun, as in, in, their, in their Sunday gatherings as the preaching was. And that's one of the reasons that, that at, at this church, like, we want to observe uh, communion as often as we gather as, a, as, as an entire church. And so communion has two elements, the bread and the wine. And what, what the communion is, uh, is it's acknowledging the cross of Jesus, remembering it. But it's also more than just remembering it. The Bible says it's also a sign of Jesus' presence with us, our unity with him. And so, so we do this, we take communion as an echo of the most sobering night in human history. When Jesus had his last supper with his followers with his disciples. And the scriptures tell us that on that night, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that was broken for you. And then he took the cup of wine and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And so when we take part in the communion meal, we as Christians, what we're doing is we're taking part in a family meal. It's a family meal that reminds us that Jesus's last, of Jesus' last supper, the sacrifice that he made for us as our Savior. It's a meal that helps us to experience his spiritual presence with us as we partake in it. 
the Bible says that while we, while we receive the bread and wine, through faith we're receiving the body and blood of Jesus. And it also points forward to when we'll be physically present, not just spiritually present, but physically present with him in the new heavens and the new earth at the end of time. Um, in the Lord of the Rings stories, uh, there's this character, little hobbit, named Pippin. Right? And uh, there's a scene where Pippin is trapped in this city uh, while it's getting destroyed by, by an army of, of bad guys coming from all different sides. And at the very last minute, when all hope seems lost, he hears this loud horn just blasting through the valley. He hears this horn coming from the distance. And this horn is a war cry. It's a war cry from the good guys who showed up. The good guys, these knights who've come to the rescue to fight all the hordes of the bad guys. And, and, and so they, the, the tons of knights, tons of these knights, they end up dying, but they end up saving the people in the city, including Pip, Pippin. And in, and in the books... Um, in the books, it says that for the rest of his hobbit life, every time that Pippin ever heard a horn, every time he heard a horn, he just broke down in tears, happy tears, because the horn for him was like this, this tangible reminder of his salvation. It was a tangible reminder of the day that he got saved from the enemy, he relives the day that he got saved. Every time that he hears a horn, he's reminded of the past sacrifice of the knights who died to save him. He could be having like the worst day ever. He could be just, just down in the dumps. But when a horn blows, he's overcome with a sense of peace. Why? Because the sound reminds him that every moment is a gift to be appreciated. It reminds him that all that he knows and that all that he experiences is a gift of grace. And in the same way, the Lord's Supper or the communion meal is a distant horn that connects us to our salvation and to the one who sacrificed himself, the one who lived on our behalf, who bled on our behalf, who died in our place and for our sins to save us to save you. And that will transform every God-given minute of your life because you know that every moment that you have is now infused with the grace of Jesus. And so at King's Cross, like I said, we take communion uh, each week after the sermon. And when we do, it's an opportunity for us as Christians to, to bring our sins before the Lord Jesus and remember that he paid the penalty for our sin. We don't have to feel shame. We no longer have to hold on to our guilt. It's paid for in full by Jesus. And it's a time for us to experience the presence of Jesus in a special and meaningful way, to be nourished by the gospel. It's a time for us to get right with God through repentance, through turning back to Christ and reflecting on the good news of the gospel, his body that was broken his blood that was spilt. Which I know it sounds gruesome, but, but it's also good. It's good news. Lastly, they were devoted to prayer. 
Number four, they were devoted to prayer. In Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The early church believed in the promises of God. They believed in the good news of a new life. They experienced it. And so they leaned forward with prayers of anticipation. They prayed prayers like, God, that kingdom that you promised us, that kingdom that Jesus brought down to earth, may that kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, may your will be done as it is in heaven. In our church, in our community, may your will be done as it is in heaven. You see, the two kinds of prayers that we need to grow in spiritual maturity are both private prayer and what we might call corporate or, or gathered prayer. Regarding private prayer, J.I. Packer says this. He says, prayer is the measure of a man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. Why is that? It's because prayer reveals what our hearts really want. They reveal how we think about God, how much we trust him, how well we know him, what we think about his power. Private prayer reveals the quality and measure of our own faith. And then there's also corporate prayer, when we're gathered with other Christians to pray. You see, prayer wasn't just something that happened in the outskirts of the gatherings. It wasn't just something that they did privately at home or at the breakfast table or just by yourself. When the early church gathered, they were devoted together to prayer. Uh, here's an interesting sort of Bible exercise for you. Uh, when you actually scan the New Testament and you, and you, you see uh, a prayer, like when somebody breaks out in a prayer, when, when Jesus says, pray for this, or when, when Paul says, uh, I'm praying for you in this way, or would you pray for, for uh, your church in this way? Every time that you run across a prayer, you're going to see that there are more mentions of corporate gathered prayer than there are private prayer. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon Charles Haddon Spurgeon says that true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is a spiritual commerce with the creator of heaven and earth. In other words, there's a very real transaction happening with him. You are giving up a prayer and God is receiving it. And when we pray as a church, when we gather to pray as a church, we're engaging in this sort of collective conversation with the creator of heaven and earth. That's why gathering to pray is one of the, the most God-centered things that a church can do. <laughs> it's act, an active expression of our dependence on him, declaring that our will, <coughs> excuse me, that our will is subject to his, that our power has limits and his does not. We're just ordinary sinners saved by grace. Yet God hears and he listens and he invites us to speak to him. Do you want to be a part of something bigger than you? Something bigger than us? Something that's more than just business as usual? Then, man, let's pray. Let's pray. Early on when we started this church, <coughs> one of the critiques I got from a, a friend of mine who was visiting um, <coughs> was that we had too many prayers. He's like, you pray on the front end, you got this prayer of confession. Uh, 
you got this welcome prayer and like all, you know, like all this, he's like, you got a lot, like a lot of prayer going on. It could be really distracting for people. I'm like, that's not going to change, homie, right? Like that's what the early church did. That's that like, like we, we want to be biblical people. We want to be a biblical church. Man, I was struck by something this week. In Acts chapter one, Jesus, he says that he's God. And, and he died for our sin. He rose from the grave. He appears for 40 days. He proves that he's God to all of his followers. And then he gives 120 of his disciples in Acts 1. Uh, disciples means followers. He gives 120 of his followers the biggest mission in the world to carry on the good news of the kingdom, to plant churches, to reach, get this good news to reach the ends of the earth. And you know what this, this like, mega squad of disciples did uh, right then when Jesus gave them that, that, that commission? They go into Jerusalem. They cram into this little room. And in Acts 1, verse 14, it says, all these, all these people with one accord, with one voice, were devoting themselves to prayer. And man, listen, that challenged me this week when I read that. Because if it was me, just given like the biggest mission in the world, I'd be like, let's find a whiteboard, right? If you know me, I love whiteboards, right? Let's find a whiteboard, let's strategize, let's plan, let's download that new app, right? Let's all, let's all do it, let's get on the cloud together. But these 120 people, 120 people, they knew that what God told them to do was so big so big and so out of this world that they could never do it on their own. They could never do it on their own. And so they prayed. And just to be clear, God doesn't want, does want us. He does want us to plan. He does want us to strategize and to be smart and to, and to hustle and to work. But praying has to precede our doing. What usually happens, especially in the West, is that a lot of us are doers first, we just do, 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 and then when we break something, when something breaks, we pray things like, oh, God, like, this thing broke. Like, help me, right? Help me, God. But, man, God wants us to pray before we even do. That's why we pray before our service. That's why we pray in our home groups. That's why we invite you to be praying for certain things throughout the week from time to time. And so I want to invite you to join us into that as a church. Like, let's, let's grow in being a praying church. I look at, like, our, our prayer life as a church together, and I'm like, man, I, I think we've got some room to grow. And so maybe ask questions like, like, like I don't know, do you, do you know what's going on in the lives of other people here at King's Cross? And do, do you pray for those things? Do you pray for those people? Do you gather with others, whether it's in a, a home group, uh, like an official home group schedule, um, or uh, uh, from time to time, right, like casually? Thanks, baby. Um, and when you gather with others, do you, do, you, do, you, do you pray with them? Do you pray for our church? Do you pray for our leaders? Do you pray for other members and their needs? In home groups, let's pray that we learn what we're studying and that we grow in grace and maturity. Let's pray for missional opportunities to serve and declare Jesus to our neighbors. 
the early church was devoted to these things. They were marked by devotion. It says they devoted themselves day by day. Wholehearted commitment. Now, before we close our Bibles on this passage, I want you to see what this devotion produced in these followers. Verse 43, it says, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, they marveled at God's work. They marveled at God's work, at what God has done, at what he was doing through them. When you devote yourselves to the ordinary things of God, God does an extraordinary thing through your perspective. Awe came upon every soul. You know what I love about about this particular verse is just quenches the thirst, you know? Um, it, what I love about this verse is that it, it, it shows us how the gospel of God's, whoa, undeserved grace. I rebuke, rebuke this music stand. It shows, this, this verse shows how the gospel of God's undeserved grace to sinners like you and me captures our whole selves. Right? Christianity is not just a head religion. It's not just a heady religion for those that like doctrine and theology and like and theology and like like arguing with others. It's it's not it's not just a, a heart religion that's just mushy uh, and relational only. Uh, it's it's a body and soul religion too. It captures all of who you are. It says awe came upon every soul. Through the ordinary means of grace, the word, communion, prayer, God does something extraordinary. He blows their minds. And people are like, this is amazing. God is at work here. I mean, that's the only explanation, right? Like, for this kind of thing to happen is God is at work here. He's answering our prayers. People are getting saved. He's doing things in people's lives. God is at work, and awe came over every soul. And these, look, these three things that we, we talked about, I know we had four points. Um, there are three things that throughout church history uh, have been considered the means of of grace. Uh, in other words, the things that Jesus promises, when you do these things, when you do these ordinary things, I'm going to do an extraordinary thing in you and through you. And those three things are the word, the sacraments like baptism and communion, and, and prayer. Now, we do all of those three things in fellowship, which was our fourth, fourth point. But know that this is the way that our God works. He's not asking for anything extraordinary from us. He's just asking for ordinary faithfulness. And then to and then just watch him do the work through you. Paul Tripp puts it this way. I love the way that he articulates this. He says, uh, he says, we must not reduce Christianity to a system of theology and rules. Theology and rules will never redeem you in themselves. They were never given by God to be an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. Their purpose, he says, is to cause you to see the depth of your need. 
and the sufficiency of Christ's work so that you might run to him in the desperation of faith, placing your hope in his grace and having your heart filled with awe of him. Look, the world needs Christians who stand in awe of God Almighty. When the people of grace, who through the word, community, and prayer have been strengthened in the gospel, when the gospel recaptures our sense of awe, that spills out into the world through our devotion. The other thing that we see happen is not only did they, they marvel uh, before God, but they multiplied on mission. In our last two verses, verse 46 and 47, it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Look, when people's lives are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, like it's not just their words that preach, but their lives preach too. And that's the story I know of some of you in this room. Some of you are sitting here in this room and you didn't care about Jesus a couple years ago, but you saw the change that Jesus made in the life of, of somebody that you know. And at one point you said, man, I gotta check this thing out. I got to see what caused this transformation. And so then you, you came, and the Spirit of God that opened the hearts of all those people in Acts chapter 2 also opened your heart in this room. And look, that is just as awesome as what happened in Acts 2. Lives changed by Jesus Christ. We get to have a front row seat in this room at seeing lives changed by Jesus Christ. Like, I get to see entire family legacies changed by Jesus Christ. Marriages restored. Suffering people find peace. This is why we exist. And I was praying over this, this sermon. Um, there were sort of like four different categories that came to mind of people uh, in this room. <coughs> um, I didn't have like names attached to these categories, just so you know, like it was, I was like, when you, when you hear a sermon like this, you're, you're probably in like one of four places. Um, and the, four, the first category is what we might call someone who's, who's just feeling dry, right? Like you hear all this talk about devotion, um, about passion, about commitment, and you're like, man, I, I don't know, my faith feels dry. Um, if that's you, I want you to be encouraged by this, to, to see that it is God's work and not yours. You don't, you don't have to muster it up, but this is something that God does in you. And so press in to the means of grace. Just show up. Just sing. Just receive the word. Just be in community. Just, just pray and watch God do something extraordinary through these ordinary things. Another category of somebody uh, might be somebody who, who, who feels like they've been pretending. Like, man, like, I, I feel like I'm showing up to church. I'm doing all the churchy things, the Christian things, but, like, I feel like I've been pretending. I'm not truly devoted in this way. And so my encouragement to you would be similar. 
maybe take that step this week. Sign up for our, our Bible reading plan. Open the scriptures this week. Join a new season of group. And just watch what God might do. A third category might be somebody who's like, man, I've been there, and I, I used to be there, but I feel like I've, I've drifted. If you feel like you're somebody who's drifted from this, know that there is grace for you. That's the whole point of the gospel. Grace. I want you to hear grace. I want you to receive grace. We bring nothing to this table when we come up uh, for communion. We bring nothing to this table except our need for grace. Maybe you're new to this whole thing, or you're just considering Christianity and Jesus and faith for the first time. Uh, my encouragement to you would be to, to use this communion time uh, to, to consider your own need for grace. The communion meal is only for those Christians who have been uh, repented of their sin and who have been baptized into the faith. And so if that's not you, man, that's okay, right? Like, we hope to get you on the other side, and we'd love to talk to you to get you there, right? Like, see what questions you might have, pray over you. But if you're not there yet, uh, then maybe, like, use this time as people are coming up to receive communion uh, to consider your own need for grace. In Jesus, we see the devoted son, the perfectly devoted son of God, that even when we did not seek after him, he sought after us. And this life of devotion, devoted community, being a devoted church is what, is what you and I are saved into. He came, Jesus came to recapture our hearts, to reorient our thinking, our minds, and to reform our lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.